Hey, it's me, Gavin Crawford. Every week, I'll quiz comedians about the headlines. Do you worry about kids being exposed to drag? I grew up going to see men in dresses singing every Sunday and we had to give them money, okay? <laughs> I wish they were singing show tunes and had some makeup on their hair done, right? It would have been way better. If the news has you screaming into the void, we can help with that. Because news is available on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I get nervous before sleepover parties because I fall asleep first and everyone pranks me. Yeah, we're going to prank. We're going to put your hand in cold water. <laughs> cold water? Why? Wake me up? No, that makes you pee. No, warm water makes you pee. Cold, well, we'll try both and see what makes you pee. It's Friday afternoon. Mark and Maddie are walking over to my place. All right! Hey. Set your phasers to fun! Oh, Get in here! I'm hosting the first annual Sci-Fi by Rye, a 24-hour science fiction film and TV festival just for the three of us. Taking place in my apartment. I brought, I brought some wine. Hey, Val, I'll get some glasses, Maddie. We're about to spend the next 24 hours staying up all night, eating popcorn, and watching movie after movie, show after show. Well, I brought a few uh, a few movies I thought would be fun to watch. Why am I throwing this film festival? Inspiration! I brought something. It's not hard sci-fi, but I do think it would be good for us to watch. I'm Ryan Beal. And if you recall, I'm a comedian. And along with my comedian partners, Mark Chavez and Maddie Kelly, we are trying to write our first ever non-comedy project, a science fiction pilot. And I set up this little movie-a-thon so we can absorb as much sci-fi as possible to inspire us before we jump into our script. Well, what are we going to start with? We started off the afternoon with one of Maddie's picks. Okay, I want to start with the reason that I wanted to write a sci-fi my show I would never have watched if I didn't have a crush on a British boy, Doctor Who. Doctor Who, the legendary British TV show about an alien who travels around in a police box called a TARDIS. It's his spaceship. But, Time what? and relative dimensions in space. But in Britain, what, there are boxes you go in to call the police specifically? Yeah, there's yeah. police boxes and there's phone booths and then there's uh, outside urinals. After that, we watched a few classics, including Alien... Blade Runner, and one of Mark's picks. The original Tron from 1982. And what does Tron stand for? It stands for totally rad, (laughs) uh, obvious neutrons. Okay, Okay, let's do this. Let's do it. Thank you for If you don't know Tron, it's the one where the guy gets sucked into a computer and they have that famous light cycle race, you know, with the -the glow-in-the-dark hockey helmets. Look at them go. This, I remember... Yeah, this, this is would... 1982. People had never seen anything remotely close to what this looks like. It's gorgeous then. for that. Like, it's quite amazing. Wow. They must be on speed, maybe. Like fighter pilots. You think the, 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 the computer programs are on a drug? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Around 2 a.m., we put on District 9. These aliens are, like, living in this, like, forced slum uh, that is fenced off and guarded by humans. This one really inspired us. All the little details, the gritty realness of the found footage, and the craziness of the aliens. It was an amazing world to witness. It's nice because the aliens are so not human-like, you know? Yeah. So the world feels so realized in this. Like, it's such a realized place that that they've set this story in. And I feel like we should work on our world, like, where we we are, like, what we're... Yeah, because it answers so many questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It was movie after movie. 
There were some modern movies. Okay, one of the greatest sci-fis of all time, we can all agree, is Pixar's Wally. I totally agree. Did he just wolf whistle at a bra? <laughs> yeah, he did. There were some classic movies. Okay, this is the movie Silent Running. Very 70s sci-fi starring Bruce Dern. In the 70s, why are they always eating cantaloupe with a spoon? No one eats it like that anymore. Cantaloupe was a new fruit in the 70s. I think it was just discovered. And there was one movie that was neither modern or classic. You guys are not going to think it's hard sci-fi, but I think it's really good. It's called The Time Traveler's Wife. Would you like to have dinner with me? This is hard sci-fi. It's hard to watch. (laughs) Mark. And as the sun rose, we watched the first episode of a little-known 1970s Canadian sci-fi show called The Star Lost. Three? Star Lost. Three young people. I've never heard of this show. Beginning. <laughs> so great. We need a beginning like this. Here. It has very dated special effects and even more dated hairstyles. What do you guys think about sideburns in our show? Yay or nay? Nay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent. It's weird. The characters are all dressed like Little House in the Prairie, but on a spaceship. In from, what universe you know. would you bother to make a hat on yeah, a spaceship? Like, why does she yeah. need, She's wearing a bonnet. Like, he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing a bonnet. <laughs> there's even a blacksmith. So there's a blacksmith yeah. and fire. on a spaceship. And a and fire. An open a flame fort? in space. <laughs> Literally, the this. time traveler's wife is harder sci-fi than this. <laughs> you're right. That's Maddie, true. you're absolutely right. Now, why did I choose this show? Well, it's the closest thing we could find to our idea. Because this show is about a generational spaceship. We're really early in the writing process. But last week, we settled on the idea for our show, which is also about a generational spaceship. It's my my favorite idea. It's the idea. A ship that has been in space for thousands of years and whose inhabitants are the descendants of the original inhabitants of the ship. They have kids and then those kids have kids. Their goal is to populate the closest inhabitable planet, Proxima B, 6,000 years away. Now, traveling alongside this ship is another mysterious ship, and the inhabitants of these two ships are forbidden from ever meeting. Until, because of some hopefully exciting and interesting event, the two ships are forced to meet. And the second one causes a major problem. What is the event? Well, we don't know yet. Who's on the other ship? We don't know that either. What are the ship's missions? Who's on the first ship? What is life like aboard these spacecrafts? We haven't figured any of that out yet. So now we have to build the entire world for this show. How hard could it be? On this show, you're following three comedians as we go from a blank slate to an earnest sci-fi pilot. Not a comedy, not a spoof. A real, serious show. And now, we don't have a blank slate anymore. We have an idea that we all like, which is huge. We just need to figure 
everything else out. Characters. Story. Why did they leave? What language? Does everyone speak English? And we need to design the shit out of this ship. We decided to start out by building the world. Once we know the world, it'll help us create characters and plot and everything else. That makes sense, right? A good thing to keep in mind throughout this series is we are comedians and have no idea what we're doing. Now, what do we mean exactly by world? Well, it's everything from the ship to the culture aboard the ship to the imagined history happening back on Earth. Before we start writing the show, we want to figure out every detail of the world. So we made a list of questions we want to answer. So first question is how big is the ship? And I think that that's a really good <laughs> so first cute. question because I yeah. think there's like two roads to go down. Mm-hmm. And we've already brought up that like a smaller ship, a, a more contained, more like practical ship is kind of more unique. Uh, but there's also the avenue of generation ships and like the trope of like they're huge mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. five different biomes. Yeah. But like so there's maybe more fun to be had with our imaginations in that world. But like I, th- I do think it's a good sort of binary question to start off with. How big is this ship? I think as a kind of a shorthand too, is like we're, when we talk about these things, I think we're talking about our protagonist ship and then the other ship is either very similar or it's different depending on what storyline we kind of like land on. But should we call that ship prime ship, ship a, let's do ship a A and ship B. Yeah. So this is ship Ship A, A. which is our prime ship that will follow. Or the A is for Aquan. (laughs) (laughs) Not to confuse things, they're not Aquans. I'm just bringing Aquans back into it. Aquans is the rejected idea I had in episode one about the water people. Everyone I ever pitch it to hates it, but it's still my favorite. Too funny. I think I would only watch that show as a comedy. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't all pie in the sky brainstorming. We did a bit of research, too. Remember, generational ships sent to colonize distant worlds are a real scientific concept, so some thinking has already been done around it. For instance, if people are reproducing on board a ship for 6,000 years, how many people do you need to keep the genetics uh, to make them not inbred? It's, it's 98 people, 49 couples. 98 is probably too small or maybe, but I, I really like it kind of nearer that that number for me too. the contained kind of claustrophobic, weird oh, world that it would. That I it think would. it's infinitely cooler and infinitely more believable to my layman brain if it was a more contained world than this. Some of the things I've seen with sci-fi with generation ships, which are just like. So huge. I like the idea of them walking down hallways and being like, oh, excuse me. Squ- sorry. And they're, they're squished. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're like leaning towards a smaller. I think it would be cute if we just we just also see human nature flourish and like people are just making things happen. You know what I mean? Like probably the most spacious mm-hmm. area on the ship would be the farming area. So maybe they all like bring little yeah. lawn chairs and hang out. And that's kind of a scene, you know? <laughs> I love that they have lawn chairs. <laughs> <laughs> But other than deciding how big the ship was, we didn't really nail down much about the show. Creating a world is a big job. Just ask God. And if you're a non-believer, just ask, I don't know, Neil Gaiman or something. Trying to imagine the details of life on board a ship thousands of years after it left Earth, we ended up with more and more questions. 
Was there sort of like a leader originally or the ship designer? Do they love a, a supreme master? Wouldn't there be robots and a lot of stuff being automated? Uh, why are they not in contact with Earth? What are their laws or constitution? When in the journey do we meet them? What about culture? Do they bring their own CDs? Or yeah, what? everyone brings their own CDs for sure. After a week of this, we still hadn't built much of a world or a story. We needed to talk to an expert in sci-fi world building. Computer, put me in touch with an expert in sci-fi world building. Mm, calling Neil Blomkamp. My name is Neil Blomkamp. Actually, we just use Zoom. And I work as a film director, mostly in science fiction. So I've done District 9, Elysium, and Chappie. Neil creates amazing worlds in his movies. He was nominated for a screenwriting Oscar for his 2009 movie, District 9, which really left an impression on us during our sci-fi film fest. It's nice because the aliens are so not human-like, you know? Yeah. The world he built, this alien internment camp, it's incredible. Neil told us the story of a time when he was supposed to pitch a film that only had a world and nothing else. One of the most insane situations ever was when I was uh, theoretically directing Halo. Halo is a very popular video game. And 20th Century Fox, Universal, and Microsoft were getting together to turn this monster franchise into a film. A $120 million film with a young Neil directing. So it was, it was basically like the ultimate meat grinder to throw a young director into, right? <laughs> and we had spent like months creating everything to do with the movie. Concept art, models, costumes, an elaborate world, but no script and no story. And um, the producer that was on it, Mary Parent, who was a really seasoned producer, she basically, she was like, look, what's going to happen is we're all going to go to L.A. And then you're going to you're going to go up in front of Universal and Fox and we'll do it in Fox's office and you'll just like crush it. And I'm like, OK, see, here's the thing. <laughs> I was like, the problem with that is we don't have a script. I was like, There's not even a story. So she's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Like, just go up and like, you know, just make it happen. So I was like, OK, um, Cool. So I basically spoke for like 20 minutes in front of 30 or 40 people about essentially garbage because there was no foundation to what I was saying. I was essentially riffing on what the IP of, of Halo was, right? Well, I love it when the plan is just, you're going to do it and you're going to ace it. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? What, what is yeah. the actual steps How here? did it feel so, like it was going when you were doing it, when you were actually in it during that 20 it, to minutes? To be honest, it didn't feel like it was going well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, they never made the Halo movie. But we want our show to get made. So how do we build a world that has a story? For you, for world building, when you're building a sci-fi world, like how do you begin? Where do you begin with that? And then how much work do you do before you start writing a, a draft of a script? Well, I mean, in, in the case of District 9 and Elysium, both of those concepts were definitely based on core ideas that were related to how different population groups are interacting with one another. So there was an extremely distinct idea at the core of it that, that was easy to extrapolate on. But... Definitely. If the question is how do you how do you come up with a world and then write it, it's 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 mm -hmm. it's always a, a core idea that I can see clearly in my head. Huh. A core idea. So what is our core idea? 
Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Core idea. What do we know? Well, we know we've got these two ships meeting in outer space. And at least one of them is a generational spaceship. And they are on a mission to populate a new planet. But how do we get to the story out of that core idea? Well, we talked to someone else who put a finer point on it. I think the, that good world building starts in a singular question. That's the voice of Emily Vanderwerf. She's a writer, podcast producer, and currently the TV critic at large for Vox Media. She has analyzed lots of sci-fi. And for her, the sci-fi stories with rich worlds that work start with a core idea that stems from a question. Um, the Matrix is a, a world building I deeply, deeply love. And that is literally just taking the question you've always asked yourself about looking outside and seeing, you know, how weird and fake and strange everything is and being like, what if, what if that was because this is a simulation, then you pull up, well, who's, who's making the simulation? Okay. Well, it's the machines who built the machines, the humans. So is there like a war between them? Probably. Why are the machines using the humans for a simulation? They're batteries. And like, if you start pulling this apart, in terms of the science, none of it works. If you're going to use the human as a battery, what a bad idea. <laughs> but it works in the context of the film, which is kind of all that matters. You know, The Matrix has endured for that reason, which is all of the world building follows logically from what followed. But it it starts from that central question of what if this isn't real? And I think that is the thing that sets good world building apart. It's, you know, what if uh, we lived in a galaxy far, far away? And like, the second you free yourself up by asking that one question, you can ask other questions. So to Emily's point, we needed to start with a central question and build on that. At our next meeting, we all agreed we needed to answer the question, why are these ships out in space in the first place? Mark had an idea for ship A. What I was going to propose is that the story of the show, of the people in this, in this generation ship, is that they are a lifeboat. Earth was destroyed and they escaped on this thing. And they're like, we're the saviors of humanity. We're the last of our kind. And we're going to go populate this thing because of this meteor. But then it's, then it's revealed yeah. that that's not true at all. That's a, a, the exact mm -hmm. same thought. Yes. That they are mm -hmm. a, that they are yes. a cult. Yes. And yeah. then... There's these Masonic kind of um, keepers of the secret that are like, Earth was fine. And so that, of course, once that knowledge is out, that causes a huge rebellion. It's like, you brought us out of this like paradise for nothing? Mm -hmm. So if Ship A is a lifeboat with its own secret agenda, what does that mean for Ship B? Maybe it's also from Earth, but later. If Earth was never destroyed, then in the thousands of years since Ship A left, technology could have advanced and Earth could have built a ship fast enough to catch up with Ship A. The past and the future colliding in deep space. What if Ship B was actually sent to 
stop or destroy ship A. Like, it seems like at first, like, they have to, like, okay. But then for some reason, like, maybe going back to lifeboat idea, like, humans have colonized space and then, like, oh, yeah, there's this, like, fucking freak ship out there yeah. that's like, like not good for anything so we're just gonna go put them out of their misery basically like it's mm-hmm. like not humane anymore to let them keep going so we're gonna go find them get them and then like yes. <laughs> basically euthanize them <laughs> Maddie then one-upped my idea okay I think you're not gonna like it but yes. it's no. Space FBI <laughs> go on Space FBI is great so it's like there's like like the FBI is like for for crimes that like cross state lines. So this is like yeah. for crimes that cross intergalactic lines. And they are like these, like, you know, f- I don't know if they're altruistic, but they're kind of like obsessive people, right? Like FBI guys are in TV shows or they don't sleep and they grow beards when they're on a case. And because they're trying to get everyone out of this like cult, because they think it's just a cult and yeah, they want to bring right. them back. And it's like de-escalation. That's interesting to me, actually. It's really interesting to me. It's like a space cult that they're like. Ship is a space cult. Ship A's space cult and Ship B is the FBI. And then Mark brought it all home for Ship A. I had a idea that I think is dumb. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Hit me. Um, that there is a secret, <laughs> a major secret yeah. of the ship and that it is a guided bomb to destroy Proxima B. Whoa. I don't know why there would have they're to be so many people. On, yeah, but they are, they're flying it <laughs> oh for generations to annihilate a planet. Oh, my God. I love it. And then the ship, ship B is this stopping them. Like, we have to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a giant bomb. <laughs> Destroy the planet. And like, what business? I just I love the idea of it. Like, what? What business does Earth have destroying Proxima? <laughs> the story was starting to come alive. And by building out from a core question, our world started to come alive, too. We began to talk about the different roles people would have on the ship. If you think about all the types of humans, like, a job you'd have to learn would be, like, artist or, like, performer. You know what I mean? Like, someone would have to entertain humans. And it would be like a real Earth where everyone's like, are we sure this is a good use of resources? Yeah. (laughs) Mark rallied to shorten Ship A's journey from thousands of years to hundreds. So I think we should make the journey shorter, like 700 years. But I'm fine with that. 700 years is so long, too. Like, all sorts of stuff can still happen to humans. Like crazy amount. Yeah, it's very long. I was getting so excited that I even pitched my idea for the whole pilot episode. So I'm just going to jump in with that. Are you ready? It involves a main character I've whipped up called Kirby, just for the sake of the the description here. Kirby is uh, heir apparent or a a next in line or an inheritor, whatever we were going to talk about, of some kind of position of power on the ship. Uh, Kirby is good, though. Kirby is who you would want to have in power. And Kirby is about to go through a ceremony on the ship to, like, ascend to a new position and the way this uh, this would the pilot would follow Kirby around would kind of be like in the first act we just see a day on the life of ship A and then boom these ancient sirens alarms that no one's ever heard before come in like systems that have never uh, been enacted in a thousand years like- okay maybe it was a little premature to plot out the entire pilot but i was feeling amped but kirby through something exciting discovers that it was a lie that there's a ship, that the, the ship has detected another ship, and then uh, the, the Act 5 is Kirby telling everyone on the ship the truth, and that this that's sort of setting up what the series is going to be. It's going to be all about meeting the ship, and everything unravels. Kirby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kirby. I love the name. Uh, cool. So, in this version, we're centering around 
Like a royal heir apparent. Yeah. Uh, so or, is it like a full royal, or is Not, it like a? It's a like version. A, it's a. But is it, or is it like a upper level guy? Upper you know? level person. Yeah. We've been having a lot of brainstorming yeah. sessions, yeah. like a lot. But we haven't actually started writing a script yet. Actually, I don't feel remotely ready to write a script at this point. But how much more time can we really spend talking about the world? Are we making a huge mistake? It almost feels like you do 90% of the work before the screenwriting begins in a way. Our new friend Neil Blomkamp, he offered up some of his own experience. If, if, you, if you just have uh, clear, concise documents that you keep refining over time, um, you should have a very, a very solid framework that you can go off and begin the screenplay. So it's kind of like world, characters, and story. Well, that's good. We've got lots of documents. But Neil also gave us his unfiltered and unprompted take on what we're doing. He's had experience jumping between genres from sci-fi to horror, and he had some advice on our move from comedy to sci-fi. I think what you guys are doing is much more difficult. <laughs> I, I, think, um, I think comedians in general can be some of the best storytellers out there. So you, you guys have a leg up in that sense. But I think the transition from comedy to something earnest and serious or the transition from comedy to serious science fiction is... As a, as a far greater leap than science fiction to horror, and especially science fiction to horror that has science fiction elements in it. And I don't want to, like, topple the entire script, but I would say that probably the most, the best result that you may get could be a science fiction comedy combination. You know, you may right. be shooting yourself in the foot to make it earnest. I know that's the whole point, and I, I, I totally get that. But um, but seriously, though, if you want if you wanted to make like a really good script, I think taking all of your talents and then just combining them with science fiction elements could be super cool. Huh. Were we shooting ourselves in the foot by making an earnest show instead of a comedy? That's something we can explore later. Right now, we were feeling good because Neil told us... It almost feels like you do 90% of the work before the screenwriting begins in a way. 90% of the writing happens before anything goes on the page. This was good because we haven't even downloaded screenwriting software yet. We were feeling so good, in fact, we decided to reward ourselves by doing something we'd wanted to do for a while. Design the spaceship. Spaceship day. Mark opened up the drawing app on his iPad and shared his screen. There you go. <laughs> it shoots lasers. You can see what we came up with on our Instagram or Twitter at Let's Make a Sci-Fi. I imagine like a, just a whole, like the way the space station kind of looks, just like a system of like yeah. tubes and little mm -hmm. chambers connected by other things, big old sails that kind of like fan out. So I've just drawn my my version. Okay, so that's an apartment building on its side with thrusters. <laughs> Fire coming out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a windowed at a windowed apartment building on its side. There would be some sort of shield. Yeah, I love a big shield, big blinding yeah, shield. Cool. That they were that they call it something like they like love the shield. They revere the shield. It's Shield Month. It's National Shield Month. <laughs> Every day we talk about the shield and all it's done for us. I thought there was a shield. Of course, our regular vernacular, most of it comes from the shield. When we say "good shield to you," that's actually "good shield to you." <laughs> I hate this shield. I hate everything about it. This drawing was really unlocking ideas for us, so we kept going. I have a little list. Food and water, which is kind of one, but there need to be a food place and like a water 
place. So the water, so let's start with the water. The water would be the the water recycling place. So you'd have tanks of fresh yeah. water, then you'd yeah. have all the stuff mm-hmm. that was pumped into it, and then mm-hmm. whatever the recycling thing is. And yes, yes, he would be transferred yes. to drinkable water. So get over it. <laughs> you keep saying this and we're okay with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we're fine with it. Get over it, everyone. Like, where do people sleep? That's like a, a ongoing. Yeah. So like, where do they sleep? This is the one that keeps me up at night because I'm like... Mm. I'm... Ironic. Yes, it's weird. <laughs> and it's like, basically falls down two lines. Pods mm-hmm. or studio apartments. Mm-hmm. Right. As far as like, what's on sci-fi? Like, <laughs> like that's... You're, so, you're so right. And they you're can't so right. be studio apartments, right? No. Like we can't. That just seems... You know, I've always liked it when I was a kid and I saw the astronauts sleeping and they were buckled into the wall and their arms were hanging out and it looked so kind of like... Yeah. And so like, if there's like grand rooms where there's like 30 people buckled to a wall. The thing is, we just need... We will need some privacy for plot. I think we can do both. I think there should be quarters for some people and then large bunk situations for others, like like on the mm-hmm. submarine. Yeah. There would be like the captain would have a tiny little tiny room and then everyone else is like in a bunk situation and that's just the way it is. And like, because I, I want right. there to be fights and privacy and sex. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. Interior, a private apartment. Two people are having sex. <laughs> I'm, I'm just <laughs> writing up. The, you know, it's great. It was riveting. And then we figured out the length of the ship. I'm going to start the bidding at three miles long. Five kilometers. That's too long. Okay, 5K is too long for Maddie. What about three kilometers? <laughs> I think it should be quite significant. Like, okay, think about this okay. plot-wise, right? Go on. All right. Oh, something crazy is happening at the back of the ship. <laughs> right. I'm a 5K walk. Yeah. What about one kilometer? I love one kilometer. I like it being a full kilometer from like something like that. That's like it implies massive, but it's also you can walk a kilometer in 10 minutes. Like 10 minutes to me is like enough time for it to be an obstacle where sometimes you wouldn't have 10 minutes and you'd have to try and figure out a way to call or you know what I mean? Like get, get a message to someone quickly. But if someone had to walk it, they can do it within the episode. It's a kilometer long. 1K. Going once. <laughs> <laughs> Mark? I will agree with one kilometer. I love this. I think that's that's good. I like that we've yeah. got like an idea. Now we can think about what where these people are and what they do and how they get from point A to point B and what those points are. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That yeah. was a great sesh. That was this is really, really helpful for me. Thanks for drawing, Mark and Maddie. Yeah. It may have taken us a little longer than expected, but Now we have a pretty good idea about what this show is. The show is about the people aboard a generational ship that left Earth hundreds of years ago to escape a dying planet. They're the last living humans. And over the centuries, many have lived and died aboard this ship in hopes that their descendants will one day reach the planet Proxima B and populate this new world. Life in space is cramped and solemn. People revere the ship and their ancestors until they find out it's all a lie. Earth didn't die. They are not the last humans. And another ship has arrived to try and stop them. Things will only accelerate from here. In fact, they'll have to because in the next episode, we're going to have to pitch the idea to a Hollywood producer. You don't have a pitch. You've only, you've got a setting. Remember, we have no idea what we're doing. Let's Make a Sci-Fi is a production of Kelly and Kelly and CBC Podcasts. 
hosted by Maddie Kelly, Mark Chavez, and Ryan Beal, and created by Kelly and Kelly with development from Ryan Beal. This episode is written and produced by Dave Shimka, Chris Kelly, and Max Collins. Jeff Turner is the senior producer, and Arif Nurani is the director of CBC Podcasts. Our theme song is by Chris Kelly. Special thanks to Neil Blomkamp, Emily Vanderwerf, and Carly Pope. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.